Welcome to the Grace Avenue Church Podcast, where we believe that the grace of God is yours to live. It is our prayer that this message will help you experience God's freedom, live your potential, and make the impact you were created for. Now here's the message. Good to see you this morning. I'm glad to be back. Uh, We've been in a series called Love Revolution. We've been talking about the love of God and just how the love of God impacts our life. And I wanted today, as we close out this series, to talk about this subject of building. Everybody say build. Build. We're all building something. You're building something. I'm building something. You're building a family. You're building a marriage. You're building a dream. Building goals. Each one of us is setting out to some degree. And with whatever God has put in our heart, Whatever God has stirred up in your mind and in your heart should be the path that you should travel with the gifts and the talents and maybe just where you found yourself in life. Didn't necessarily even plan to go a particular direction, but because life's circumstances have thrown you in that direction, you find yourself building in that direction. Anybody been there before? You find yourself there and you start making a path and a track. And along the way, you start asking God, okay, God, where are you? in this. How is this going to come together? And you start asking God, am I building the right thing? Am I building what you placed in my heart? And you come back to that regularly because it's that, I believe, that keeps you centered on who he is in the midst of everything that he's building. Lest you just go off to the side and just kind of build your own thing and then come back 30, 40 years later in a midlife crisis saying, what is life? What is God? What, what is going on? And Jesus makes an incredible statement about building. He says something so powerful. He says this, I will build my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. All the forces of hell, no matter how much they push against the church, try and squash it down. It goes out in 10 different directions every time you try and squash it. This is why historically the church has always thrived in persecution. This is why the church thrives in China and Afghanistan and in different places where there's persecution and Christians are persecuted because they're forced to scatter just as they were in the New Testament. They don't have it on easy street like we do. Or we get to go to, get to, go to Chipotle right after this or get to go somewhere else, you know, have a taco, watch some football. The church is massively persecuted in various parts of the world. Yet Jesus is still building his church. And I think it's powerful to look at the great builder himself. And look what he said. He said, I will build my church. He didn't say he was going to build somebody else's church. He said he was going to build his church. And one of the things that got stirred in my heart long ago was to get behind the thing that Jesus is building. I figured I can get excited about building a lot of things. But one thing I know that there's the general contractor, the master architect behind, it's the church, and that's Jesus. He's building it. He was, and he is. And in the same way, this is, This is the same kind of spirit that we've taken on as a church in this season. That as we're trying to launch a second community in the spring of 2020, and and as we're wanting this church as well to remain healthy, we're builders. We're not just having church. We're not just attending church. We're building something for people that are not even yet here. You ever think about that? 
that when we think about church and how it's being built, we're not just building something so that people can attend and consume. We're building something that Jesus is already building, and we're building it for those who do not even yet know they're going to be here someday. Lives that will be changed, people that will be baptized, lives that will be restored, people that will be healed and made whole, lives that will be changed. That excites me when I think about building for the future. When I think about what love built from the beginning and what love now builds, even now in this generation. Last week, I talked about a man named Nehemiah who felt this burden from the Lord to go and build and restore the walls that had been broken down in his city. He just felt this urge, this sense of burden that he was supposed to go and do the thing that that for so long had been torn down, broken, people scattered everywhere. What did he do? He didn't get caught up in the emotion of what he was watching on CNN on, in Fox News. He got caught up in the burden of building the thing that was being destroyed. He wasn't just depressed about how ugly the world looked and how bad the world seemed. He tapped into the gifts that God had given him. And he started to ask God, what is my place in this? Where, where would you have me to build? Can I encourage you today that, that maybe you're looking at the world and asking what's going on? What on earth is happening in our world? And maybe God is not asking that question. Maybe God's not asking that question at all. Maybe you're asking that question, but maybe God's placed inside you. A burden that he's trying to stir that would build his church in this generation, that would build your family, that would build the things that God has put inside you, not to get consumed with the wreckage that's happening, not to say that you're not affected by it, but to not get so overshadowed by everything that you hear and see that it snuffs out the light that God has put in you. You see, we can get that way. We can get so consumed with what we're seeing and what we're hearing and everybody talking at work and everybody talking in family. What's going on? What's happening? Oh, my God, what's going on? Or as followers of Jesus, we can say we've been put here for a purpose. God set our family in this generation for a purpose. God set my manhood or my womanhood or my singleness or my marriage or God set my dream or my goal. He set me on course in this generation for a purpose greater than just my own ambitions. And if I could tap into that and I could stay centered on the purpose of God in this generation and stay centered on the purpose of God for my life, it can keep me from looking backwards all the time. See, that's the challenge when you start to build something, you get really excited about the future, all of a sudden you start looking backwards. Anybody ever go and look up somebody old school on Facebook that you, should, you shouldn't be looking up? <laughs> and you know you shouldn't. <laughs> and you regret, regret when you did. But you look back when you should have been looking forward. See, when God calls you to build, he calls you to look forward. He doesn't call you to look backward. And sometimes when you're looking forward, vision feels lonely. 
Because the only one at the time that can see what you see is you. But if you look back, you can see everybody that's around, everybody that's not building, everybody that's fearful. But it's tough when you're looking forward and you feel like you're the only one looking forward. Some of you, you're like that in your family. Maybe some of the relatives that you have or the friends that you have. You, maybe you feel like you're the only one looking forward in life. <laughs> and this whole thing with God and, and his purpose and living for his glory and everything, you, you're surrounded by people who are not looking forward. They're looking backward. They're looking around at every, everything that's going on, all the chaos. It's hard to find conversations with people who are visionaries or, or people who are filled with faith or people who are looking forward because they're stuck. They're stuck looking back. Nehemiah is a man that didn't get stuck. Nehemiah felt the burden to build. That's what he felt. He felt this burden to build. Now, here's the thing. In Nehemiah, and you can read this story later, the whole, the whole book is pretty phenomenal about, about his life and what he accomplished. But what's incredible is, thank you. What's incredible is Nehemiah is in this position where he's dealing with people all around him that help him build. And we don't read anything about the stuff going on in their lives. But because we know they're people, we have to know that there was stuff going on in their lives. Come on, so if, people, if this was a story about Daniel, who was building Grace Avenue Church, it would say Daniel and what Daniel was going through, but it's not talking about you and what you're going through. That's what the story would reflect if it was modern day. But you've got stuff going on in your lives. Yet all the people still united around the purpose of God, the restoration of the worship of God, the restoration of the city. See, this is a picture of how we're to be as the church. Broader-minded, bigger vision, seeing bigger than just what we're all going through, but seeing the big picture for what it will do when we build it, when we build the city. See, Nehemiah didn't have just a vision for structure. He had a, a vision for spirit. What was going on in that city was jacked up. Idol worship, people ripping each other off, murder, chaos in the city. So by Nehemiah stepping into his calling, stepping into his thing, and people uniting together, it changed the city. What if the church we're building together the church that Jesus is building first and the church that we're building together as a community. Not attending, not consuming, not watching from the sidelines, but what if the church that we together are building has the effect in the same way on our city? What if it changes lives? What if it awakens people from the sleepiness of 30 different series on Netflix every single year and still not building the thing that God has created them for. How many selfies do people need? <laughs> Are you with me? Look at your neighbor and say, that's for you. He's talking about your selfies. He's talking about you. See, this interesting thing about Nehemiah is Nehemiah encountered opposition, which I think is so powerful in the story. Because we don't read about Nehemiah just walking up, receiving this thing from God, 
and then just going for it, and it all worked out. In fact, Nehemiah encountered some serious opposition by two particular guys in this story, Tobias and Sanballat, and these guys come in and literally just stir gossip about him. They try to stir the people against him. They try to stir things with other people in charge to get them to quit the work. They're bringing division. Isn't it interesting how when you began to dream about the thing that God put in your heart, you faced opposition? You just wanted to build a family. You faced opposition. You just wanted to build a marriage. You faced opposition. You just wanted to come out of college and get a job. You faced opposition. You just wanted to get married, and you faced opposition. You just wanted to do the thing that God had created you to do, and you faced opposition. The opposition, I think, is something that, as Christians, we're so surprised at. In the New Testament, we read so much about spiritual warfare, this undercurrent of something happening, working against the very thing that God is doing in us and around us and through us. But we kind of toss that off to the side and say, oh, that's for somebody else. The opposition that comes against us emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, circumstantially, just the things that happen can cause us to quit building, to quit seeing the big picture, to quit seeing why God stoked the flame in the first place, stoked the fire. And before you know it, we can start to withdraw and look back because of opposition. We can start to look at an old relationship that should have been buried long ago and start thinking, maybe they're not so bad. But we know they're bad. And you know they're bad. We can start to look at seasons that were wrecking us and start to flirt with things from our past that God tried to bury long ago. God crucified those things, and we're trying to get them to have a resurrection. See, opposition will do that to you. It'll get you thinking out of your head instead of your spirit, and it'll get you thinking not about building what God has placed in your heart, not what God has called you to build, but opposition can cause you to look backwards. Opposition is part of life. Opposition is part of of how we accomplish the purpose of God in our life. In fact, we have to do a better job at helping our kids understand that opposition does not mean that you're doing everything wrong. In fact, it may mean you're doing everything right. But if our generation is continuing to think that, that everything's just supposed to happen, everything's supposed to be easy, everything's supposed to have a great filter, they're not going to be builders for the long haul. Last thing I want to point out, and I want to go into something different here. Nehemiah, this man we read about, saw provision financially, supplies, things happen. This king, this foreign king, gave him the things that he needed, the things that would help him move the thing forward. He saw provision and progress through what? Through his obedience. Through him simply stepping out and stepping into what God had called him to do, God brought the provision and the progress into his life. What, did that, what does this mean for us? It means when we think about it, obedience is the key to seeing provision 
and progress happen. Most of us want the provision and the plan and the progress to happen, and then we'll step out in obedience. But Nehemiah's life is he has to sense the burden, step forward and move forward, and out of that, God starts to pave the way with people and things and opportunities. And so here's where I wanted to land the plane today. Everybody say land the plane. If you want to really want to put your arms out and act like a plane, that's up to you. If you want to make the sound of a plane, that's up to you as well. Somebody just did it. <laughs> I want to land the plane here. It's so important. It is so important that the master builder build you before you build it. Because if you try and build it without him building you, plans are going to be off. You won't have the tools. You won't have the education. You'll still be looking back. What I'm trying to say is God is trying to build you this morning. This whole series, Love Revolution, it's about love settling in your heart so that you won't settle for less. Jesus came to build first you, and then he came to build through you. But he starts with you. He starts with the question, who do you say that I am? There were rumors going around about Jesus. They were saying, well, some say you're this great prophet, Elijah, back from the dead. Some say you're, you're uh, Elijah. Some say you're um, John the Baptist. Some say you're this. Some say you're that. And Jesus said, okay, that's great, but who do you say that I am? Who do you in your humanity say that he is? See, God's calling us to build. And we're passionate about that. We're, we're Americans, man. We just go out and kill it. We go out and build it. We go out and do it. We get that part. Where we mess up is we don't let the master builder build us so we don't wreck it five years down the road so that we stay connected to the source that's building through us. And one of the saddest things I've watched over, over church life, the saddest thing is watching talented people, gifted people, phenomenal people have so much gift and talent and wisdom and provision an opportunity, sometimes even the finances and everything needed to, to make something fantastic happen, yet they don't have the character. They don't have the stamina. They don't have the endurance. They don't have the thing that's going to take them long haul, long term. Can I tell you, God didn't just call you to be busy. He called you to finish the race. That looking real busy seems like our generation loves to look really busy, but we're not just called to look busy. We're called to finish this race. To stand before our King and give Him glory for everything that He's done in us and through us. So here's what happens. I believe we get really comfortable doing things for God and really uncomfortable spending time with God. Just shoot up a quick prayer when we got a deal going through. Can I tell you, our church, if it's going to be a church that's really effective, it's going to be, have to be a church that makes room for the presence of God, that just doesn't have head knowledge about God, that just isn't 
having Bible information that isn't just collecting sermons every single week, doing serving opportunities every week. That's just kind of in this natural flow, but there's no supernatural input from God in and through our lives that's happening. We're walking through the week saying something's dry, something's off, something's missing, and it's not God. It's us making room for God. It's his presence. Before Nehemiah built anything, he made room for the presence of God. It says Nehemiah mourned and fasted and prayed before he stepped out to do the thing that God had called him to do. I'm going to tell you as we're going to a new season for Grace Avenue, this new season as a church. The next six, seven, eight months, I'd say about seven, eight months, our church will look a lot different. In order to do that, man, we've got to be prepared. And there's no greater way to prepare than to make room for his presence right here, right now. So here's what I'd love for us to do this morning. I'd like us to make room for his presence as a church. Could you stand up for a second? I want to read you this verse. Hebrews 4.16. So let us, it's talking about the people of God. Let us come boldly. Everybody say boldly. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. We'll find grace to help us when we need it most. Let us come boldly to the throne of God. You know, when we enter into worship and we lift our hands and we begin to give God praise for who he is, we're coming boldly to the throne. But what keeps people from doing that is a wrong view of God. It's a view that says, I'm not worthy to come into the presence of God. It's a view that says, I don't have it all together. It's a view that says, there's something wrong with me. I don't have all my ducks in a row. I still got things going on in my life. This is not what the word of God tells us to do. It tells us to come boldly as his children to the throne of our gracious God. Not the God who makes us perform. Not the God who says, well, you screwed up this week, so come back to me next week. Not the God who says, you're not going to get mercy. No, there will be mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Not when we need it least, but when we need it most. Can I tell you, this church has to be built into it, a worshiping church. A church that honors the presence of God, not just in our homes, not just in our cars, not just in our quiet time with God, but together as a church, we have to open the floodgates of heaven because we don't know what's happening in somebody else's life. When we step in with faith and expectation and just boldly come into the throne room of God and worship his name, we're going to worship right now. We're not going to be a fake church when it comes to worship. We're not going to sing songs for the sake of singing songs. We're not going to look the part and post the pictures on social media and not be a worshiping church. The worship will be in spirit and in truth because God asks for it and he deserves it. So I want you to close your eyes for a moment. And just now, if you just lift your hands. And begin to let him speak to your mind and your heart.
He says to come boldly to the throne of grace. Not boldly to the throne of performance. He says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. When was the last time you drew near to God? Could it be that what you're trying to build in your life has everything but the very thing I'm talking about right now? The presence of God in your life. The ability to hear, the ability to see, the ability to make decisions, the ability to move, to transition, to shift. Because you understand God only on a cerebral level or a, a past level of a religious upbringing or what grandma taught you or what you grew up with but you've not had an encounter with the living Holy Spirit of God Jesus said it's good that I go because when I go I will send to you a helper who will be the Holy Spirit he will come and he will guide you and he will lead you into all that is truth some of us this morning we need the truth the truth about what we're facing. And God wants to bring it into our midst by his presence. desire to lead your home as the spiritual leader of your home you've heard that phrase before in church you don't know exactly what it entails it's kind of thrown on us as Christians men are supposed to be the spiritual leader of our home but if you didn't have that example and you don't know what that entails let me just sum it up for you right here you're on your face before Jesus that's the beginning and the end of it right there starts there with a man who's willing to humble himself to his creator and say Lord God use me how you've designed me to be used on this earth help me lead the family you've given me Lord for I'm a steward of the people you've given me under my leadership Lord God help me to hear your voice come on begin to say it as I'm praying this I want you praying it out man Men and fathers, begin to pray for your home. Pray for your wife or your future wife. Pray for your children. God, make me the leader that you've called me to be. Make me the man you've called me to be. 
Lord God, make me the spiritual leader. Lord, don't leave me satisfied in the carnality that I see in men across the earth. God, touch my lips, touch my heart, touch my mouth, touch my mind. Let me be the man you've called me to be. Men, you have to come boldly to the throne of grace. You have to abandon the shame. You have to abandon the sin. You have to abandon the fear. And you have to have a faith-filled pursuit. You can't look at another man to give this to you. You have to look at your God. You have to look at your creator. What you did not get and what you lacked from your upbringing is not going to hinder your future. When God says, I will supply all your needs, he means not just your physical financial needs. He's talking about what he's created you for. Some of you had incredible fathers that still couldn't lead you into the presence of God. They taught you how to take care of money. Taught you about what's important, how to fix things. But God wants to teach you how to be a man, a man of God. Paul told Timothy, flee these things and pursue these things. Pursue righteousness and gentleness. Pursue these things that will build your life. Father, I lift up every man in this place today, God. God, would you anoint their heads right now down to the sole of their feet to lead this life that we've called them. Would they be pillars in this church, God? Would they be pillars in our community? God, would you take imperfect men and perfect them by your grace? God, would you take broken men and heal them by your grace? Would you take wounded men, God, and, and restore them by your grace? God, would you take men who did not get and would you fill them to the max, God, with everything that you have in store? marriages right now I feel like there's some tension that's causing so much friction they're starting to cause some some pretty out there thoughts today I'm not not judging anyone who's walked through a divorce or who's going through a divorce, hear my heart on this. I'm just telling you, God can restore. I've seen it all my life. We see it in this church. see it all the time. God's a restorer. But it starts with humility. It didn't start with finger pointing and blaming. for his presence to touch your marriage right now? Would you allow him to heal, to come in and soften the heart of both of you and remove the impurities of bitterness and resentment and anoint you with forgiveness and mercy and grace? Friends, I'm telling you, the other side of humility is blessing that you can't 
you can't believe. Lord Jesus, would you touch marriages right now that need your help? Marriages on the edge, marriages on the fray. Lord God, as they've come to meet you today, would you open up their hearts? Would you soften the hardened ground that's settled in their life? Would you begin to stir today a new beginning, a new hope, a new chapter, a new story? Lord, we make room for you today. Lord, we know without you, we're not enough. Unless you come into this marriage, Lord, we're not enough. It won't make it. Lord God, would you come in this morning? Would you touch lives? Would you touch every man and woman in this place, God? Would you touch their hearts and touch their minds, God, as they are called to build in this life, in this generation, in this city, as we're called to build this church, Lord God, together? Would you stir us with a hunger for more, God? Let us not be satisfied playing church, attending church, consuming church. Lord, would, we, would you teach us to be the church that makes you proud? Lord God, would we not be satisfied with average, but only with your will? today just as we keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a second just by a show of hands nobody looking around how many of you would say that this element in your life this key in your life the presence of God is, is something that you maybe you admire church moments like this but it's not an active part of of your daily life but you want more you want to learn to walk in this more if that's you would you just lift your hand so I can just see who I'm speaking to maybe there's been a lot of head knowledge and maybe there's been a lot of routine of coming to church but friends there's a daily encounter with God that we freely have access to Father, would you touch them right now, Lord Jesus? Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. We open our hearts to receive more from you. Lord God, we don't come to this life, to our purpose, with all kinds of answers and instructions for you, God. We come for direction. We come for guidance. We come for truth. We come for hope. We come for grace and for mercy, Lord. Lead us teach us guide us God but I pray an overflow of your spirit into the lives of those who have their hands raised right now God an outpouring of your spirit onto their life as you said Jesus living water so that we'd never thirst again Lord let us never be thirsty for the things of this world that don't satisfy but to drink more of you more of who you are Lord your word says that if we hunger and thirst after righteousness we'll be filled God would you fill us as we hunger and thirst after the right things 
If you would like the most up-to-date information about Grace Avenue Church, or you are looking for a way to support this ministry, please visit us online at graceavenuechurch.com. Thanks for listening.